podcast uses profanity and topics. 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 We use profanity and topics. <laughs> profanity and topics. <laughs> profanity and topics, which may be disturbing <laughs> for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hellenius Podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And as you can tell, we're off to a great start already. Hey, it's pretty on topic. <laughs> it's <Tap-a-hanic>. <laughs> That's really where my brain was going. I was thinking about our listeners in Tappahannock. <laughs> and we still don't know if we're saying it right. So. No, we're probably, we're definitely not saying it right. Not, we're not saying Tappic right anymore. We got to stay uh-uh. on Tappic. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, welcome to, uh, what is this, episodes? 86. 86. Jinx. Yeah. Hey, was that really jinxable? I feel like I said it first. I don't know. You'll know later. Okay. I'll figure it out later. <laughs> we'll figure out if it was a jinxable moment. Um, and if it wasn't, I'll just put it in my favor anyways. So we're good. You just switched us. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> what's important here is if I lose, it could really be either way. I could have actually lost or I could have won. And y'all never know. No, I'll never know. (laughs) You guys will never even know. Like, you guys are going to forget about this, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, how are you? Um, I'm pretty good, I think. We've had a pretty lazy day. Yeah, well, that's not true. We went to the town. Almost said... (laughs) The town? We went into the town? (laughs) Almost said the name. (laughs) And I'm like, no, don't do that. So no, <laughs> I changed my mind. We had a we had a few errands to run, so we so did that. You went into the town, <laughs> the, the town. town, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> the town to be in. Yeah, that's where <sighs> that's where we went. We ran errands. I have lemon heads. It's a good day today. Wow, I'm uh, you got something going for you. Yeah. Oh, James is cooking dinner. Pretty excited about that. Bonus. Mm-hmm. What about you? It's been lazy. I haven't felt great. Um. I think the medicine's starting to get to me. Oh, no. Because last time we talked, it was only like day three of the medicine. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's just starting to get to me. So, so. Um, I just don't feel great. Like my stomach hurts. Uh, well, and then on top of that, I can't take any allergy medication. Oh, no. Which my allergies are not really sinusy this year. They're mostly like I'm like super itchy. My mom's like, well, vacuum your house. That doesn't help when I've got three dogs in and out of my freaking house all the time. Girl, who are you telling? <laughs> so, like, I'm just from, like, contact with things. I'm just super itchy. Mostly on, like, my arms right now because that's normally, I, I wear pants. So, you know, my legs don't get exposed. Um, most I wear pants so that I they are not itchy. So what about, like, um, Benadryl cream? Look, I'm watching you itch and now I'm itching my arms. What about, like, yeah. the Benadryl cream? Does that help at all? Well, I've got like a bunch of lotions. Lotion helps for like a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, lotion will help. And then Cody bought me like an anti-itch cream. Mm-hmm. I figure it's topical and I only put it on the spots I need where I notice like right now it's a very specific spot on my arm, which then will move after I put the anti-itch cream on it. It'll move up higher. And then like, <laughs> it's just a very vicious circle. So... <laughs> You should get um, like something with lidocaine in it. So then you just can't even fill your skin. I think I'm not supposed to have lidocaine on my skin right now. I am i don't know. Doctor's office mm-hmm. is closed at the moment. So I can't oh, exactly yeah. ask them. Um, yeah. So it's been 
it's been real interesting because I can just feel every part of me itch. So your butt hurts and your body itches. This is this is a great start. Yeah, and then my body aches as well. So my <laughs> stomach hurts a little bit. I get a little nauseous throughout the day. But you know, so it's it's great start. We're fine. It's it'll be fine. But <laughs> that's where we're at. I never knew IVF was here. You're not even pregnant yet, but beforehand, take all of these pregnancy symptoms on steroids at the same time, and you only have them for a week. I wouldn't say at this, like, uh, on steroids at the same time. I would just, it's because you're basically trying to tell your body or prepare your body for pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not something I've ever gone through, so I'm not <laughs> used to it. Yeah, it's, it's been an adventure, so we're going to learn as we go. I guess that makes sense, but it still sucks. Well, yeah, but... And I mean, by the time our listeners hear this episode, it will be June 18th. So you guys are, like, way behind. This is old news by the time you Holy hear it. Holy crap. We're way ahead. Look at us go. Well, we're not as far ahead as we need to be because we have to prepare for you to go on maternity leave. So there's oh, yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah we'll so thanks thanks for that <laughs> look we're doing great don't cut us short we need this yeah it's fine yeah. we're a few episodes ahead right now it's great anyways point is is that it it'll be old news by the time you guys hear this i'll i'll know if it worked or not and then months later you'll hear if it worked or not so it's fine yeah and then she's gonna have a baby and you'll hear about it next year yeah that's the goal <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I've been to answer your question. Cause I know I canceled yesterday cause I didn't feel well. That's fine. It gave me time to procrastinate and I did. See, you're welcome. <laughs> um, but also, oh, I didn't realize I probably should have prepared for this one more. This is our father's day episode. So to all the fathers, dad, oh. happy father's day. I mean, I'm not, I know day. you're not going to hear it, but. You'll hear it eventually. Next month. He'll hear it. Yeah, he'll hear it. He listens um, the week we release most of the time. Mine won't. I don't think he listens. I don't think he knows how. That's okay. Yeah, I'm not going to try. Yeah, my dad does enough listening for both of our dads. It's fine. Okay. We'll take it. But happy Father's Day to all of our fathers who listen. That came out really weird. It really, I'm wondering where you're going with this. I don't know. Happy Father's Day to all the listeners who are fathers. That's where I was going. Yes. Okay. We're not good at shouting out holidays because Mm-mm. we record in advance. And I forget to look at the calendar and see <laughs> when things are released. So, surprise. Sometimes I, I do it and then I get like, I forget about it later. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this on this day. And then it's just gone. Yeah, I just forget. That's fine. But yeah, that's all I've got. Um, I think. Hold on, let me. Yeah, I got nothing. Okay, I appreciate you trying. I did. I I thought about it really hard. Mm-hmm. It was the SpongeBob meme for a minute, where they're all just running around. He's like, um, the brain's on fire, and he's pulling files out of a filing cabinet. You don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't watch a lot of SpongeBob growing up. Okay, well that's just offensive. I was the youngest child. I didn't always have control of the remote. <laughs> also, I just didn't enjoy SpongeBob. So, I think I had two SpongeBob birthday cakes when I was a teenager. 
question mark maybe maybe like preteen teens something like that i can't help you there all i know is i'm not sorry okay well i guess i'll take it okay well the other good news is that i just identified our fourth of july episode and i put it in the notes that's gonna make this so much easier we hope (laughs) yeah but we'll see anyways Anything else? Any other new developments? Um, <laughs> yeah, so did you know you can buy worms online? You know, I did hear a rumor about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From you, specifically. Mm-hmm. Because I had to tell somebody at exactly that moment. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Well, that's because you had access to me mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah, apparently um, this man I met was buying of worms, red worms specifically, the red ones online um, from, I think it was Uncle Bob's worm store or something like that. I don't know. The website was like, I was like, sir, are you sure you're not getting scammed? And he was like, no, I'm going to raise them and use them in my garden. And I'm like, all right. Was it Uncle Jim's worm farm? That's what it is, yes, because it, um, yeah, Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. Let's see, what do they got going on? They got some mealworms. Okay, that I get for people feed that to their pets. He wanted red worms, though. Worm kits? Is that where I would go? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm on the website for anyone wondering. I am trying to find, oh, buy live worms right in front of my face. Duh. Yeah, duh. What? <laughs> Did he say how many red worms he was trying to buy? He just said it was a hundred and it was like $127. It's $130 worth of worms. I didn't ask him anymore after that because that feels like a lot of worms. This has to be this. Oh, okay. Never mind. This is this is real. Yeah, this is real. Yeah, as seen on the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Oprah, even. So oh. Uncle Jim is a big deal. There are a lot of worms I never wanted to see in my entire life in that person's <laughs> hand. Oh, it's it's terrible. So if you guys want worms, uh, Uncle Jim's Worm Farm, apparently, we're not. He, he should sponsor us at this point, but he's not. No. God, that's terrifying. I, I'm done looking at pictures, I think, because this is not. This sounds like a random hobby that I would try to pick up and that like the taxidermy thing like this is like oh that would be really interesting and then i would buy one of these giant bags of worms of 500 worms and which is only 40 dollars, which is a steal it's less than a less i'm not gonna try to do math but it's a steal okay it's it's a steal guys yeah but then what do you do with them do you just let them go do you keep them is he gonna have a worm farm? Like, what do you put it in? Ant farms, they're in like a glass. I think there was an option for books that I assume were about worm keeping. <laughs> this is not real. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, I think maybe just buy the book before you buy the worms. From Uncle Jim's Worm <laughs> World. What was it? Worm Farm? <laughs> Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. <laughs> Worm World is a missed opportunity. No. 
that is actually the amusement park that they're building later on. But it's not for us, it's for worms. Oh, so it's like real small there. Yeah. Like for if you if your worms have just been working overtime in your garden and you want to give them a (laughs) gift, you send them to Uncle Jim's worm world. Bob, Frank, Francis, come on. You guys are going to worm world today. Let's you guys we're sending on the house. Company trip for you. Not you, Nancy. You called in last week. Nancy, you haven't been pulling your weight lately. So look at those tomatoes. Do you not see that they're not as perfect as they could be? Get your shit together, Nancy. Yeah. Try to be more like Bob, Jim, and Frank over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, there's that. That's all I got. I've been hooked on that for a couple of days. Yes. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, we didn't get all of our comments about it out because, you know, we're just Mm -hmm. here. Making them for the world. There you go. Making them for the world. Letting everyone know that we are apparently heavily judging worm farms around the world. I I need to know more about it. Okay. Like, I need a How It's Made, the TV show on worm farms. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead and email them and ask them. How do I do that? I'll I'll give it a shot. (laughs) I really need a How It's Made for worm farms, guys. What do we do? Why Why are there worms? What are we doing to some... Are we counting all 2,000 of them? Did you know there's 32 episodes of How It's Made? I'm sorry, 32 seasons. No, I did not. Yeah. As you guys can tell, Amanda was serious about emailing them, so she is working on that. <laughs> so while she's doing out. that, let me just go ahead and uh, remind everyone that we do post all of our pictures. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook and Instagram are Helen Heels Podcast. Twitter is Helen Heels Pod. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions, words of encouragement, whatever you guys want to do, um, whatever it is, you can email us, podcast at gmail.com. We also have our Discord up and going, our Patreon's up and going. So if you want to join on either of those platforms, you're welcome to join there. And I think that's everything. Are you ready for a story? I am ready for a story, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, like I've just been already. on the- <laughs> What did you do? You went to that website, didn't you? I thought yeah. we had a deal. Take a break from that website. It was a disappearance, okay? Does and what I make me feel better? Does that mean this is unsolved? Damn yeah. it, Bryce. <sighs> okay. Well, spoiler, we're talking about a disappearance today that is unsolved. <laughs> I did go back to the handy dandy website because uh, after we looked at it, I kind of felt like a challenge to start finishing all of those on that website. Gray. And Amanda is going to love the next few episodes. Uh- <laughs> all right. If you have any cannibalism stories, send them in. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that I was going to do all of them. Or I guess I did, but I'm not actually going to do all of them. It's like when I'm lacking inspiration, I go to that website. Uh, I can send you some stories. We also have a spreadsheet with hundreds of stories on it that we need to do. Yeah, we do. I need to just print them out and start throwing a dart at the wall. Oh, God. Um, or just instead of printing them out, just like choose a section like, um, I don't know, example, 100 through 150. And just write the numbers and pull it out of a hat. And the number that you get is the line it corresponds with. 
That sounds gotcha. a lot less yeah. aggressive. I like mine better. Um, you won't break anything with my method. But then why would I do it? To not break anything? But there's no Listen, I don't involved. need I don't need you and James fighting, okay? You can't go okay. breaking windows with darts. It's just not acceptable. He broke that window. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know he blames you. <laughs> no, he straight up said it was it was him. Uh, anyways, so Just tell we, me this stupid story. <sighs> oh, I'm trying to, but we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Have you ever heard this one? No, not I don't think so. It's been a minute since we've done a disappearance story in general. I think the last one was what Bryce L- L- Las Pieces. Las Pieces. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was yeah. the last disappearance. Yep. We're going to be talking about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Uh, Brandon was born on January 30th, 1989 in Lyon County, Minnesota. He had a normal upbringing. So we know he had uh, an eye injury in his childhood. And this injury left him legally blind in his left eye. Oh, no. It also caused him to have some depth perception issues just you know from the injury so he would wear glasses for this so that he could function brandon graduated high school in 2007 he went on to attend minnesota west community and technical college and was studying wind turbines that is super specific uh i'm assuming that was just kind of the general field or what they typically do he wanted to do with it but I don't know. It said wind turbines in all the articles. Okay. Which wind turbines are like energy. You know, they produce, generate energy. So Mm -hmm. now when he is going to school, he is living with his parents in Marshall, Minnesota. And he is commuting into Canby, where the school is located, which is about 30 minutes away. 30 to 45, you know, depending on the day. He would study there through May of 2008 when the spring semester ends. On May 13th, 2008, Brandon, he was hanging out in Canby to celebrate Canby. He was hanging out in Canby to celebrate the end of the semester with friends. Now, Brandon and his friends, they went to two different parties throughout the night. Last party was in Canby. And, you know, they're, they're partying, having a great time. And they're doing what young adults do. And they're drinking, having fun. And Brandon was not drinking enough to be visibly intoxicated, at least according to his friends. His friends stated he drank at both parties and was just not overly or visibly overly intoxicated. Like they had, they thought he had full control of himself. He was just having a good time. He was being social is what it sounded like. Social drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted, he's 19. Kind of think it's stupid to drink underage, but... That's mostly because I don't want to go to jail. Um, I can't say I I never did, so. Listen, I never drank underage. I waited until I was 21, and then I had wine on my 21st birthday, and I was like, this is disgusting. Why do people drink? It was probably the worst thing to start with. You should have, like, a daiquiri or something. (laughs) Yeah, I learned that the hard way. Um, (laughs) Obviously, I drink a little bit now, here and there. But 21, I was like, "Mm, we're good. (laughs) I don't need (laughs) We're done. 
But, you know, they go, they party to celebrate the end of the semester, having a great time. Brandon would leave the last party just before midnight, and he begins his about 30-ish minute drive home. And I believe I did include a picture of directions from Canby to Marshall. Mm-hmm. You did. And I think it says 34 minutes. Obviously, I don't have exact mm-hmm. exact addresses, but about 30, 35 minutes, right? And obviously, okay. this is a drive he would be familiar with. He's doing this all the time, like basically daily for school. And again, his friends are like, he wasn't visibly intoxicated. He was fine. I, however, kind of question that maybe just a little bit as the story goes on and wondered if maybe he was a little more intoxicated than they then maybe he led on to for people to believe. Um, I only say that not not to like be insulting in any way, but there are plenty of people that hold their alcohol really well outwardly, but inwardly they're a lot more messed up than they appear. Well, also, I mean, you kind of get drunker as you go too. Like if you right, if it sits with you for a little bit, right. And on top of that, some people believe that rather than Brandon taking Highway 68 home, he would actually go on and take back roads. And it's speculated that this was likely to avoid police. Makes sense. So, makes sense, but makes me question if he was, he might not have been, like, wasted, but he was probably real, real right around that legal limit. Well, I I would argue that even if he wasn't drunk, um, if you have a drink or two, they're going to be able to smell it on you. And he's 19. So he might have been like a little, I don't know. Also at the same time, if you're, if you, let's say you had a drink and you're driving home, you wouldn't be worried about police pulling you over because you're not worried about your driving. Uh, I don't know. I lived in like a, and I lived in a small town, so I could just be driving the speed limit going home and it would be deemed as like, um, what's the cop word? Suspicious activity. Because my town was on the smaller side. So like everybody's at home in bed. What are you doing out? I've gotten pulled over just coming home from work once. And it was around like 11 o'clock, 1130. I feel like that's, pro- it could be the case. I don't know. But I feel like it's probably not because it was a college area. Like, yeah, it's a community college, but you still have college kids in that area. Okay, that's a good point. So while it still could have been, I I do wonder if he was maybe a little more intoxicated than he led people to believe. Now, just before 2 a.m., Annette and Brian Swanson, Brandon's parents, would receive a call from their son. He told them, hey, guys, everything's fine. He's safe. He's okay." And I just get the feeling that's going to cause panic in any parents at 2 Uh a.m. Yeah. But he tells his parents that he had driven his Chevy Lumina off of the road into a ditch and it was now stuck he was not injured in this accident he just couldn't get his car unstuck and he, he needed his parents to come and get him so he tells his parents i'm near the town of lind lind is about seven miles away from marshall and i did include a picture of can be to lind to marshall just so you could kind of see where that is mm-hmm. so lind is really close to his hometown it also looks really out of the way to his hometown. I mean, if he's taking back roads, though. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did say that. Sorry. Yeah. The directions I pulled are obviously going to show best way to get there. Mm-hmm. But 
his parents, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll go get you. And during this time, Brian and Annette, they remain on the phone with Brandon as they began their search for him. Now, this area should be somewhat familiar to Brandon and his parents. Uh, I mean, first of all, the highway would be very familiar to him. He took it to and from school regularly. And Lynn was right next door. He had friends that lived in Lynn. He would probably know the Lynn area pretty well. I'm not saying the back of his hand, but he probably knew it at least pretty well. So to me, this area he was in, he was probably familiar with. And Brandon Mm -hmm. and his parents, as his parents are looking for him, they make a deal and they're flashing headlights in an attempt to signal like one another so that they're like, oh, okay, there you are. But neither Brandon nor his parents could see any headlights in the distance flashing. And something kind of started feeling off. Tensions and anxiety would begin to rise. And at this point, everyone is probably really tired because it's two in the morning and they're frustrated. Some reports even state that Brandon, who was frustrated and adamant that he had told his parents where he was and they were just confused, he actually hangs up his parents after a quick argument. Though they do call him back immediately and they're like, okay, calm down. We just can't find you. Yeah. Did they say at all, like, how he sounded on the phone? Did they think he sounded intoxicated? They did. They would, I have it later in my notes, but they would say that he sounded fine. Like, he didn't sound drunk. He wasn't slurring. He -hmm. sounded very alert and very aware of what was going on. So to them, they were like, he was fine. Okay. They, I mean, they continue looking for him, but Brandon's like, okay, change of plans. Because at this point, he's hanging out in the car waiting for his parents. And he gets out and he tells his parents, I'm going to walk towards the lights of the city. Meet me at this bar. And it's a popular bar for the Lind area. And he's like, just just meet me there. Okay, then we know where we're going. We're fine. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. So his parents are like, okay, let's change course. And they head for this bar. And Brandon starts walking. He's cutting through fields, jumping fences. I don't know if he's jumping fences, but he's cutting through fields, doing whatever he can to get through quicker instead of going around and walking on the road. Okay, so he's not taking, he's like hoofing it through just what, he's like beelining it towards these lights, basically. Not even worrying about roads. Okay, Correct. So, and at this time, his parents are staying on the phone. They're, They're talking to him. And... About 47 minutes into the call, most reports said this was a little after 2.30 a.m. Some reports said it was a little after 3 a.m. But Annette and Brian would hear the last words they would ever hear from their son. Brian would cut himself off and say, oh, shit. And then there was silence. Brian and Annette would try to ask what's wrong, what's going on, try to get a response out of him. And it's just silence. He was not responding anymore. Now, they're not sure what to do, and so they do decide to hang up the phone and try to call Brandon again. They're just trying to get a hold of their son. But the phone is ringing and going to voicemail, and they're trying this multiple times, and there's just no response. So Brian and Annette, his parents, are understandably worried about their son. And they do spend time searching the surrounding Lind area for their son on the morning of May 14th. And... Some reports stated they had reached out to friends who would come to help look for him late in the night, but they didn't have any success. They would go on to report his disappearance to the Lind police at around 6.30 a.m. on May 14th. So they're not really wasting Yeah, they were there all night, though. I can't imagine how they must have Mm -hmm. felt. And they don't even know where he's at. Like, he could be in a random field or yard at this point. Right. And this is, like, rural farmland area. 
for some mm-hmm. of these these spots. Like there's ranches, farmers, all all types of things. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. Like they might not even be able to see him from the road at this point. Right. Well, Annette and Brian, when they go to the police, they're actually shocked by police response. The initial response from police, they were met with a lot of resistance. And they were told that it was typical for a kid of Brandon's age to go off the radar for a minute. How did they know that? And that Brandon had a right to be missing. And that his parents should just be patient and just wait for him to reach out or return on his own. Uh, what? So his parents do continue searching for him. Lynn police, they would actually eventually start a search and they couldn't find any trace of Brandon or his car in or surrounding Lynn. And so the Lynn Police Department, they go on to request the help of the Lyon County Sheriff's Office to assist them. Because their hands are kind of tied. They're like, he's not where? Like, there's nothing here. We don't have anything. Now, the Lyon County Sheriff's Office would obtain cell phone records. Would you like to know what they found in the cell phone records? Yes. On the night of Brandon's disappearance, his phone had pinged cell towers that would have put him near the town of Taunton and Porter. That is about a 25-mile difference from where he stated he was. Now, if you direct your attention to the maps that I provided, I did circle the area his location would have been. And you'll see... That's nowhere near. Well, yeah, Lind is south of the highway. Yeah. Tauntaun and Porter are north. He's way closer to Canby where he started. Exactly. So he's, I mean, he's still way, way over there, according to his cell phone records, right? Oh my gosh, no wonder they never found him. Right. His parents, I mean, they would have had no way to know. Oh my God. So he had no idea where he was going to. He had no clue. And this is another reason why, well, this is another reason why I kind of question, maybe he was a little more intoxicated than people thought because, well, I'm not saying he needs to know Taunton and Porter by any means, but the timeline, if he left a little before midnight Mm -hmm. and isn't calling his parents until what, just about just before two. Yeah, where where was he? Because this doesn't even look like halfway through this almost hour drive. So how did right. you think you were driving for that long when you weren't? Right. Oh, and okay. I, I don't know. That's kind of where I question it. He could have stopped and talked to Fran or whatever. But I couldn't find any reports that stated that. And what's interesting, none of the reports really mentioned like, oh, yeah, he was still really close. That's really weird. I was like, your guys' is weird is that he wasn't in Lynn, but rather here, but you're not going to tell me why he's so close to Canby still? Yeah. But, I mean, Taunton and Porter, they're along State Highway 68, so he would be at least somewhat familiar in some sense, right? Like, they're right there. Mm-hmm. But how was he still 25 miles off? And I get he's on back roads, rural roads, but I still feel like he would probably know a little bit better i don't know maybe that's just me but again that it does lead me to believe he might have been a little more intoxicated than he outwardly outwardly showed i can kind of see your point though because like you know every now and then there's different routes i can take to work there's the quicker one and then there's the back roads and every now and then if there's like a hang up on the interstate i can take the back roads and at least have like a general knowledge of like oh okay this is where i'm at right so it should, like you said, like, even though it's in the dead of night, there should be like a little familiarity, familiar, familiar, 
I can't say it. It should be a little familiar to him. Right. And I also get he's on rural roads. There's no street lights. It's not like heavily populated. I I get that, but I don't know how he thought he was in Lind. Actually, no, I do know because he thought the lights he could see in the distance were the town of Lind. Well, what the heck was he seeing then? The lights. He was seeing lights either into Porter or into Tauntaun. He just Mm -hmm. had the wrong city. Now, authorities, they go on to search the area of Tauntaun and Porter, and they do discover Brandon's car in a ditch near Tauntaun, just outside. Uh, It's about a mile north of the highway, so confirmed he was in this area. His car had been found with minimal damage. Yes, it was stuck. Basically, he was, like, high-centered. His wolves just weren't able to touch the ground for him to get the car out. Okay. It's unclear how he went off the side of the road. Some speculate he was trying to turn around. Some think maybe he just drifted off on accident. No one's really sure how he got the car in this this position. And additionally, the like I said, the car barely looked like it was in a ditch. Like they were like, there's minimal, minimal damage here. But the car really didn't look like it was stuck. Like they could tell as you inspected it was stuck. But if someone passed by, they might have just thought the car was possibly parked or just broken down. I mean, they could have thought it was in a ditch, too, if they were more familiar with the area. But to the untrained eye like myself, I would have just thought they were parked or broken down. Right. And his keys were not found at the scene. No sign of him at the scene. And some reports stated that his glasses were still found in the car. Again, that's not all reports. That's some reports. Um, I I was about 50-50 on that one. But that's interesting because we know he's legally blind in one eye and he has depth perception issues. Yeah, so. that feels really weird when... Okay, so my glasses, I only need them for driving, so I leave them in my car. I don't need them for, you know, it's a long distance thing. But, like, right. he sounded like he needed his glasses. Right. So if they were still in the car, that's strange to me. It Exactly, it was very strange to me as well. Now, in addition... There were no signs of a struggle in the immediate area where his car was found. And reports also stated that officers were not able to visually discern what way he had even started walking. They weren't even sure. Because there were no footprints, there was just no evidence to show them what way he had gone. Would there have been? Or do you know? Like, was there, I mean, I don't know, like if there was like uh, semi-tall grass, maybe it would have been trampled in some way or right so these are like farmland rural areas so they couldn't see anything that pointed them one way or another they didn't see anything in the like in the dirt um near his car or in the gravel they did just didn't see anything well that's weird now according to lyon county sheriff eric wallen brandon's phone actually worked well into the next day and brandon's parents and officers they would continue to call it but only reach his voicemail And the search would start and hundreds of volunteers would come to aid in the search. They had volunteers searching the surrounding areas where Brandon's car was found on foot. They did flyovers or air surveillance. They would use, go on to use boats to search the nearby Yellow Medicine River. And they would also bring in search and scent dogs uh, to aid in the search. Now the search dogs would pick up on his scent on a trail near the Yellow Medicine River. And they would follow the scent to the water Then through and over to the other side of the river, they would continue following his scent uh, north along the riverbank, and the trail would end at a gravel road. So this looks like he went backwards. 
like back towards um sorry can be um i believe so yes yep okay he's disoriented at this point i mean he thought he was in lind so he very much did not know where he was that's terrifying to me to just be walking along like fields and a river and all that and i don't know it's not like it's oh it's just land on the side of the road like that's scary right right also just to note this trail was from his car to the river and reports stated that the trip to the river from his car was about three miles away. So he would have walked three miles. Right. Which to me, I'm like, you're walking three miles in like less than an hour. Are you walking or sprinting, sir? Cause that's a long walk. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause he was on the phone with his parents. That's we, we don't know where the call with his parents ended though. Yeah. So did something happen and he continued moving? I don't know. Scent dogs, they would go on to pick up a scent of human remains near Mud Creek, which is north of Porter and Taunton, which is the direction that the map shows. Uh, nothing has ever been found. And again, even with all of these search methods, there's just no sign of Brandon. There's no clothing. There's no cell phone. There is no car keys. There's nothing. Now, search efforts do begin to slow. And even as the search efforts slow, one sheriff, he actually stated he would walk two miles of the Yellow Medicine River every day for like a month just looking for any sign of this kid. Oh. Now, the search for Brandon had some ongoing complications. One of the scent dogs picked up Brandon's scent on a piece of farm equipment that was nearby. And the farmer who owned the equipment and land, they would refuse to let authorities onto the property to continue their search. Um, so, okay. Ken Anderson, who's with Emergency Support Services, he kind of realizes there's several areas that we could be searching for Brandon, but we don't have access to. Um, but they could be very promising. We could find a lot of things. But this was due to some legal conflicts for the state of Minnesota. The landowner would have to give authorities permission to search their land. And many of these farmers and ranchers were like, no, I don't want the police dogs on my property. Kind of a, okay. It seems really sketchy, but I, first of all, am not a farmer. And an example that they kind of brought up was like cattle ranchers. You don't want to spook or add stress to their cattle by bringing dogs onto their property. Even if it is helping aid in a search, their concern at that point is for their cattle and their income with that. So to an extent, I get it. Yeah, it's I, uh, it's it's tough for me because like it is sketchy, but also you have a you have a point, right? <sighs> and like others were just not wanting the dogs on the area during their like the crop season. Like if they've planted their crops, they don't want something to harm the health of the crops, like a dog digging or something. Yeah. And officers would also state that issues happen. This happened more when law enforcement just because they didn't have probable cause. So there was nothing for them to really say, hey, we need to do this. It was, hey, can we? And they were like, no. <laughs> now, the Yellow Medicine County Sheriff's Office would work with emergency support services to help them request landowner permission to continue the search for Brandon. And so basically, this would help to create a schedule to the farmlands with the owner's permission. Um, and it would mean that the investigating teams could work around planting and harvesting seasons. So basically, they started this schedule. Where after all of the crops had been harvested in the fall, 
if the landowner agreed, the team could go in and do a search. In the fall? Uh-huh. And when did he go missing? In May. Okay. How long uh, was since and all of that last? Well, scent work is really, really touchy because the scent degrades pretty rapidly over time. They did explain that there are specialized dogs that specialize in aged scent that they have to utilize now. And there's only like three of them in Minnesota total Holy that are crap. specialized. Yeah, and these are like, there's only the three that are specialized in this aged scent work. So they're, first of all, very limited because they have to have those three dogs. And some of them are now going to be like cadaver dogs because they don't, they don't really expect to find Brandon alive at this point, right? Yeah. So they're just looking for remains. But so they create this, this schedule. So after the crops are harvested in the fall, they, some of the owners will let them go search. Obviously, they had different ways of saying, hey, if we do X, Y, Z, can we do this? And, you know, they worked with the landowner. And then they would have to stop during the winter. And then before they planted their crops in the springtime, they would work to go back onto the property or onto another property with landowner permission to search again before planting of any crops. Okay. So it sounds and, like they're they're trying here, which the dogs alone, I imagine that's going to be expensive, especially the ones that are so, um, what you said, there was only three, so scarce, I guess. Yeah. But it sounds yeah. like they're, they're trying. They're, yeah, they're trying. They even mentioned in some articles that early on when they got permission and it was kind of time sensitive, they would request these, these animals from other States as well. Okay. Just because they're like, well, we have these two people agreeing to let us search, but we don't have the dogs available for this. So let me see if we can pull them in from another state, all of that type of stuff. Okay. So they kind of dropped the ball at first, but it feels, well, they straight up dropped the ball at first, uh -huh. but it feels like they're, they're trying here. I'll give them that. Right. Right. The issues that the investigating officers and the emergency support services, they are actually still seeing these issues ongoing with landowners today. Almost 15 years later, there's still a fight for some of these investigating officers and some property owners. Now, most of the property owners have attempted to be accommodating or agreed in some way, but there are a couple circumstances that the owner still will not let officers and their dogs onto the land. Even with law enforcement trying to work out acceptable methods, times, terms, some of these landowners just have not made a compromise. Though most of these landowners have claimed to have searched their property as well with no sign of Brandon, which while I appreciate the effort, they are not a specialized scent dog. And I get they're going to know their land, their farmers, give them credit, like they know their property, but they're not specialized scent dogs. But also, if you won't let them on to check, to even look at the land, are you going to tell them if you found something? Because then they're, they're coming on the land. Assume they would. I hope they would. I would hope. If you're a yeah. good person, you'd be like, hey, but here's the thing is let's say they did find something. They could at least isolate that area and say, hey, we found mm -hmm. something. This is where it's at. This is how you can get to it as to not disturb our crops and not disturb our animals. So I don't I don't see why that would be an issue. I would really hope they would, but I don't know. That's just a thought yeah. that comes to my paranoid mind. Yeah. Well, to add to the complications with the farmers, the state of Minnesota, and I already mentioned this, they only had these three specialized scent dogs available at any time. And they couldn't always guarantee the scent dogs were going to be able to be 
there for the Brandon Swanson case, right? Okay. Because there are other cases. Scent work is very time sensitive. At As the time goes on, it gets very difficult for the dogs to detect these scents. So they're utilizing these specialized age scent dogs. And I mean, like they're going, they're doing everything they can. So that's just another complication that they do run into. In 2010, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension would take over as the lead investigating agency. They would set up an information hotline, and by 2015, this hotline would get about 90 different leads. And they would also change their point of interest towards Mud Creek, where cadaver dogs had picked up scents previously, but they have not found anything there. Uh, By 2011, an approximate 122 square miles had been searched in an attempt to find Brandon. As of today, I believe that number is 140 square miles. But there are still blind spots with some of those uh, landowners that have not allowed search parties there. The leading theory about Brandon's disappearance is that he unfortunately drowned. Oh, no. Many believe that he was swept up in the Yellow Medicine River and was unable to get out. Some believe that he may have fallen into an unmarked cistern in the area as well. Um, Some reports will state that the area that it was believed he may have fallen in had actually been ruled out, uh, specifically fallen into the Yellow Medicine River. And this is because his remains haven't been found in the banks of the river. So they're like, well, it's been almost 15 years. The likelihood we wouldn't have found his remains by now if he was swept up in the river. Right. Or slim. Like, he should have washed up somewhere. Right. And they, like I said, they did change focus to Mud Creek, but again, have not found any sign of Brandon. Now, on the flip side of this, many argue that there's no way he could have drowned. If he had fallen and drowned in the river, it's likely he would have been found by now. But how did his phone remain on? It was on his person, but his phone remained on for days. If he had fallen into the river with his 20, 2008 phone, it probably wouldn't oh, have yeah. remained on as long as it did, right? Water damage is a real thing for those phones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And reportedly for up to two days after his disappearance, and they never found his phone along the banks, even if he dropped it before being swept up. So, I mean, and they're, conf- they're fairly confident that his phone was on. And this is because they were able to call the phone, hear ringing, and then get to voicemail. Rather than going directly to voicemail. Gotcha. So it's it's trying to connect. Are there any theories about like he stumbled across something he shouldn't have seen? And that's why he was like, oh shit. Not really, but there are some theories that maybe kind of go that direction. But those are the very last theories. You don't have to deal with that. Okay, I'll wait. Some believe he died from hypothermia. And the temperature that night had been just under 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, They believe if he'd fall into the water, it's possible that he developed hypothermia. And some think that maybe he made it to a farmer's outbuilding and died there. But at this point, again, the remains have not been found. So if he did find it to an outbuilding of one of the farmers, I would assume by now they they would have found him. Yeah. Also, some are skeptical skeptical that he really could have gotten hypothermia, hypothermia because the temperatures just weren't low enough. There wasn't a wind chill. Yeah, it was late and it was... 40 or just under 40 degrees but 
was he really, and I don't know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know enough about hypothermia, but some argue that even if he was wet, he probably would have been fine. Now, Brandon's mother, she wholeheartedly does not believe that he drowned that night. After following the scent of the water, the search dogs who had continued up and across to the other side, they took them along the riverbank into another gravel road. Like they picked up the scent on the opposite side again. And it would continue, I mean, north towards the Yellow Medicine County line before it ended. And she would tell CNN, there really is nothing to indicate that he's in the river. Like she's like, there's just, I mean, even the scent dogs <laughs> bypass the river. Yeah. And Brandon's father, he also stated that regardless of the alcohol from earlier that evening, Brandon did not sound disoriented or confused during the call. And his parents said he sounded perfectly lucid. Another theory is that he intentionally disappeared, though his parents, again, don't believe that he would do that. I don't believe that, especially since he called his parents to get them to pick him up. So I just don't see how how that, like, why would he intentionally disappear at that point? Yeah, okay. I can't really follow that. And why would you do it in this way, too? Why would you leave mm-hmm. your car and then walk into the random wherever, cross right. a river a couple of times? It feels like there there could have been a different way to do that. Right. Um, some believe maybe he had a mental breakdown, um, though this is most believe this is not likely the case because he was always described as very high functioning. He didn't have any. He didn't show any signs of depression, anxiety. He was just happy go lucky. He had no concerns of a mental health crisis, nor had he in the past. With the mental breakdown theory, many theorize maybe he commits suicide. Again, it's not likely, mostly due to the fact that his remains have never been recovered. And normally, they, I mean, psychologists on this case stated, if you're committing suicide, you're not typically trying to conceal where your body is. Yeah. And I don't think you would call your parents and talk right. for that long. Like, that just feels... now. If he did intentionally disappear or it was a mental breakdown, it's still very unlikely to have this go on for as long as it has now. For someone to remain under the radar under a new assumed identity, it would require like a whole new level of sophistication and resources to remain off of that radar. And I'm not saying he's not a smart kid, but he was only 19. Would he really have the resources to remain off the radar for the rest of his life? Did he even have a job or anything? Like, he was going to school, but... Right. I don't know if he had a job, but... I feel like you would have to have some money to initiate something like that, at least. Right. I assume he probably did. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Now, to answer somewhat, somewhat of your question, foul play has not been ruled out in this case. However, there is no evidence to suggest that there was foul play. There are no known motives for a potential murder or homicide, at least none within his own personal life that would indicate someone he knew would be involved. Obviously, a crime of opportunity from a stranger who may have harmed Brandon and relocated his body cannot be ruled out. While they didn't find a sign of a struggle, that doesn't mean that something didn't happen there. And another theory, and this one kind of makes the most sense to me. Another theory is vehicular homicide. Brandon walking along a rural road with no streetlights. And if someone didn't see him and struck him, um, if someone didn't see him and struck him, it's possible they panicked and disposed of his body elsewhere to cover their tracks. And he's still really close to Canby. 
And I can imagine that wasn't the, there weren't only those handful of parties that night. So I think it's very possible that maybe someone, kids his age, were drinking, may not have seen him on that road, and may have struck him and relocated his body. I think if that, that makes a lot of sense to me, that one, while obviously we don't want that to be the case. But I think that one to me makes the most sense, right? As of right now, where the case stands. Yeah, I can I can kind of see that too. I had not even thought of that. My first mind for whatever or my first thought for whatever reason was like maybe he stumbled across I don't know, drug like deal um, gone wrong. Yeah, drug deal or a meth lab or you know, something like that. And that's how he disappeared. I didn't even I didn't even think of like him walking down a dirt road in the middle of the night. The most recent documented search for Brandon that I could find was 2021. Now, authorities, they would ex- excavate areas near the river, which had dried up at the time in 2021 due to a drought, but they just never found anything. As of 2023, Sheriff Wallen stated that tips on Brandon's disappearance are still coming in. They often get tips from, and these are typically third-hand accounts or claims, that Brandon had gotten into an argument with someone around the time he was last seen, so probably before he left the party. Um, but at this point, none of the tips have panned out. Like, just nothing's gone anywhere. And they do, they follow up on them, and they're just dead ends. The only physical evidence the authorities have about Brandon is his car. They have not found his keys. They have not found his clothes. They have not found his phone. The initial police reaction to reporting Brandon missing really stuck with his mother, Annette. She was frustrated by the lack of action and the response that Brandon had a right to be missing comment. She really didn't like that. Yeah, that didn't sit right with me neither. Yeah. And she and Brian would begin to lobby for change in the state law. So basically, this law would require a missing persons case, have the investigation begin as soon as it's reported. Now, just to clarify, this is specifically for an adult because children already had this Mm -hmm. um, as part of the law. So children, you were already required to start that case immediately. And Annette mentioned that regardless of where she was at with finding Brandon, she never wanted like another family to feel that way again, the anguish that they went through if they could prevent it. So that was kind of some of her driving factors. Just didn't want another family to be told, oh, it's his right or that wait to look for him. I always respect people that find the strength to go through something like this and and make sure something comes for, or not even make sure, just try to make sure that something comes from it like that. It's just, right. I don't know if I would be a strong enough person to do that. I would probably just right. break down. Right. And I mean, they begin this journey. They also had a lot of resistance from local law enforcement. Resistance? Yeah. Oh. Uh, some of the local law enforcement were like, we're just invading a person's privacy. Like if you report a missing and we have to do all of this, blah, blah, blah. Where's their privacy? And there was a lot of back and forth. But a a bill called Brandon's Law would be introduced and it would amend the law for the missing child program and change the word child to person. So it would be the missing person program. Mm-hmm. In May 2009, this was passed unanimous, unanimously with its companion bill that was also passed in both houses. And this would basically make it so that police would be required to immediately begin a preliminary investigation to to determine if the reported person was truly missing, if the person is potentially in any danger, and they must notify nearby law enforcement agencies as soon as possible. 
The agency taking the report is the lead investigating agency. The reason for this is because in Brandon's case, there was some conflict of who was lead investigating because Lind initially took the report. They handed it off to Lyons. So there was kind of some of that who owns it mm-hmm. questions there. And then police were not able to refuse a report based on the belief that no criminal activity was involved. The interval since last seen, the belief that the person may have intentionally disappeared or the lack of relationship between the missing person and the reporter. So they cannot refuse a report based on those, those four items. Me knowing borderline nothing about law enforcement or police officers and stuff like that, I feel like this isn't a bad law. I don't feel like it's bad. Um, I think just at the time, it. I mean, we were still, there was a lot changing, like 2008, 2009. Yeah. I mean, what, smartphones were just being introduced around then? Oh my gosh, that was crazy, yeah. Like, flip phones were making their way out, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody probably had razors around that time. Right. Yeah. So... That's where it's kind of, I think their concern was, was, you know, a lot of people want their privacy. And in this new digital age, how can we give them privacy if we take all these reports and pull their cell phone records when they don't want to be found? Which I understand. However, especially in like this case, this, this kid, nobody knows what happened to him. Yeah. Now, the Swanson family still leaves their porch light on at night, every night, and hopes that Brandon would find his way home. Rip my heart out. Oh, my God. And that is the disappearance of Brandon Swanson. Can you just stop with this website, please? (laughs) I mean, don't. Don't stop with the website, please. But just, oh, my God. I will take a break from it for at least one episode. One true crime episode. This story is a head scratcher. Mm -hmm. Because there's just nothing. They have, his mother even made a statement. I think it was to CNN. That she's like, people don't just disappear out of thin air, but he did. We have no clue what happened to him. And it was strange from the get-go, just like him not being anywhere near where he thought he was. It's just... Right. And that's uh, that's part of the reason I think maybe he was a little more intoxicated than he led people to believe. Uh-huh. And I, you know what? That's whatever. It is what it is. But... I just, there was something off. Like, he didn't know where he was mm-hmm. at all. And he was closer to Canby. And granted, now granted, he could have gone into the ditch and spent some time trying to get out. I understand that might have taken a little bit of time. And underestimated, like, how far he'd gone. Right. No, underestimated how short of a distance he's gone. Sorry. He overestimated how far he had gone. That's the one. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I said. But if he left just before midnight and he called his parents just before like 2 a.m. or a little bit, let's say like 145, that's still an hour and 45-ish minutes. Which is still double the time it would have taken him to get all the way home. And he didn't even get halfway there. That's more than double the time. We're looking at 30 minutes for him to get home. That's triple the time. Oh, I was looking at 49 minutes if he went to Lind and then home. Oh, okay. Well, there, if he went to Lind and then home. Yeah. But that's like there there was something off there and I, I I don't know what it was. Maybe he was abducted by aliens. And that's why his perception of time was off. I think I think we should add that to the uh <laughs> that I mean 
it's got just as good of a shot as any of these other theories, honestly, because we just don't know enough about there, it. There's just nothing. There yeah. really is nothing. Like what we have his car. Great. That's really great. But there, I mean, in the car, there were no signs of alcohol, no illegal drugs, no nothing. Like they just didn't have anything. I hate it. I will it's give just, you a break from the website. Okay. It's really frustrating. Yeah. All it, these cases, which it's, uh, it's a great website because <laughs> all of these cases you've gotten off of here are just, I hate them. I mean, I, I hate, hate all of them, but these yeah. are particularly frustrating. There, there's something else. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how, first of all, I don't know how they found all of those cases and I don't know how I stumbled across that website, but I, I'm using it. Um, so I told you beforehand, I've got, I did kind of a strange true, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't do true crime. Paranormal nope. here. I mean, you tried to do true crime. <clears throat> yeah, I put them in the wrong, I put my, I don't know where I put my pictures. It was in the wrong episode, in the wrong folder. <laughs> we had a lot going on, guys. I don't know what happened. Um, so this paranormal is a little different. You want to hear about a haunted lake? Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Lake Linear in Georgia. And we got a lot to go over. Okay. Because this lake has a past. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> well, we're going to get to it. Lake Linear is about 60 miles. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had 60 miles north of Georgia. It's not. It's in Georgia. It's 60 miles north of Atlanta. Okay, And it's the biggest lake in Georgia. There's almost 700 miles of shoreline on this lake. It's spread across 38,000 acres of land. And it's between 80 and 100 feet deep. This is already oh, no. wild to me. This is a, like y'all made an ocean almost in the middle of frickin' Georgia. It was named after Sydney Lanyard. Linear. I'm sorry, it's spelt L-A-N, but it's pronounced linear. So I'm going to mess that up a couple times. Named after Sidney Linear. He was a poet and a Confederate Army veteran. And this is a man-made lake. And they made it when the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built the Buford Dam in the 1950s. And they needed this lake at the time for power, uh, water supply, flood control. And to build it, they basically built this dam, flooded the valley. Easy peasy, right? That's one hell cool. of a job to build a lake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was a job, definitely, to build this lake because they had to convince an entire community to leave what was their entire lives for generations. Homes, farms, like... I'm envisioning is I don't know if you've seen the second Frozen, but all I'm yes. envisioning is like the people of Arendelle being told, "Hey, you need to move so that this can be a lake." Yeah, basically, that's what they did. I mean, I know that was a very different premise, but can you imagine? It, I can't. No, and that's another thing that's terrifying about this. Like, look, we'll get into it, okay? <laughs> but there were towns, communities, and they were pissed. They were scared because how do you just, you're not, you're not even taking someone's house. You're taking their whole town. Right. 
Do you know what the name of the town was? It was Oscarville, which there is an Oscarville now in Georgia. But according to a YouTube that I watched that went like way, way, way back in the day with way old maps and stuff, Oscarville at the time wasn't where it is now. It was in the middle of the lake. Right. The government came in and they told the families that they would give them a fair price to sell their buildings and their land. Spoiler alert, they did not. And a lot of people struggled after moving from this community. They, the government gave them about $30 an acre. Uh, one man sold his 100-acre farm for $4,100. Now, this was in the 50s, but that still just does not feel right. No, not. what The other thing that is, like, mind-boggling is that this is in the 50s. Yeah. So you already don't have, like, anything. Like, I think they had outhouses, right? You can't even poop Uh, inside and you're having to leave your whole life behind you. Oh, no, I'm I'm 100% exaggerating. I hope. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they had um, indoor plumbing by then. But I'm also thinking, like, there are people that could be still alive today that remember this. Oh, easily. Yeah, I think so. I did do the conversion, because, you know, I love a conversion. But $4,100 in the 50s would be $51,609 today for 100 acres of land. So then I also, I was spiraling at this point. So 100 acres of land in Georgia today goes anywhere from around 300,000 to over a million, close to 2 million, depending on like how clear the land was, if it was just woods or if it was already farmland, it was easily over a million dollars to leave literally everything. Okay. But also I feel like the fifties were like a crazy time. I feel like any time that's not now was a crazy, it was a wild time. I don't know Um, how I lived up to school, both uh, up to school, up to school. Oh my God. Going to school uphill both ways. Sorry. Oh, God. Yeah, let's hear that. (laughs) But also, I just think about, like, in the 50s, you could have easily a single-income household and live comfortably. Right, I mean, today, like, there's no way Cody and I could... I mean, there is a way. We'd figure it out. But... You're not living comfortably. Right. Live in comfort. Being able Mm -hmm. to door dash whatever the hell I want. You know, that would not be happening. I'd be cooking... Yeah, but oh, you know what I mean. Like that's just crazy to me that, like, people could live off of a single income comfortably. Whereas today, I mean, people are struggling on two incomes. Yeah, just to survive. So I read that about two hundred and fifty families finally ended up selling fifty six thousand acres of land to the U.S. government, and so. All right, we have this land. Now we got to go in here and we got to we got to build a dam. But first, the government had to go in and remove anything dangerous. What's, so what's dangerous? Trees. They had to clear out trees. But this is so creepy to me. Only if the trees would be more than 34 feet from the surface. I'm sorry, less than 34 feet from the surface. If they were more than 34 feet from the surface of the water, they just left them. There's trees in this lake, Bryce. There's probably not trees anymore in the lake. But then I just started thinking, they flooded a whole ass town. Uh Uh-huh. There was probably a cemetery. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) So 
They also had to remove barns and houses if they could p potentially float to the top one day. They got that out of there. Or they just knocked it to the ground and left the rubble because there is just pot random piles of rubble on the bottom of this lake. They moved bridges and stuff like that. Now, they tried to move a cemetery, at least one cemetery. They moved all of the marker graves. Uh, but many people, and this was, this was kind of up in the air. There was a man in the army that said, you know, like, no, they moved everything they could. You have to remember that, you know, back in the 50s, you couldn't just x-ray the ground or whatever it's called and see an unmarked grave here. But then you have other people who literally watched their town flood as it filled with water saying like no they they just left like some tombstones and stuff they just left it and didn't even dig it up so it's either they did or they didn't but either way the one guy has a point there's in the 50s i don't think there was a way to see where an unmarked grave was so yeah there are still cemeteries at the bottom of this lake that's I understand that, but I'm also thinking about is it better to disturb the resting place or to leave it underwater? Like I don't know, I'm really conflicted right now. Is it better to move that like their final resting place? Or I feel like I would rather they be moved. Because like these families, they can't even visit their deceased family members anymore. I guess they just got to go to the lake. Like, oh, Memorial Day, let's go see Aunt Gertrude. I get that, but I also still am just thinking, it's just, I don't know, it's weird. It's This whole thing is weird, Bryce. There's a, there's a oh. city under this lake. <laughs> there used to be a city there. Well, there were more things left behind. Oh, great. Uh, there was a racetrack. Like a, a, an old speedway. Uh, they took the bleachers, because those might float. But yeah, apparently um, during one of the droughts, you could see the top of the racetrack. But that's kind of cool. Is it? It's kind of yeah. creepy. I think it it's so creepy. eerie. You know they what? Were, this reminds um, me that, um, was it last year or the year before? One year. I don't remember. I think it was last year. Um, there was like a lake in my area that was, as it dried up, it was uncovering structures remains of structures that's the worst people swim in these places like you're just you're just going for a swim and there's the, a whole ass racetrack underneath you well, okay now it's a swim track i hate it <laughs> there's trees under there can you imagine like okay yeah maybe they're not trees anymore but oh it's just so cr i'm swimming over a forest not anymore. You're swimming over seaweed. Ugh. They left churches, homes. One source said they left over a dozen cemeteries. There are concrete foundations from where if they did remove the building, they were just like, ah, that's fine. It's not going anywhere. That's what was coming up is like the in Utah where I'm at. It was like the foundations that we could see. Don't like I it. never went and checked it out, but I don't think this year's going to happen. It just creeps me out. Maybe it's just me. Um, I think it's oh, this so is, interesting. This is what we were just talking about. When waddle, waddle, waddle. When, when waddle, waddle levels drop. When waddle <laughs> levels drop, 
things happen. Look, stay on topic, okay? If you Back can just keep your waddle level. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'm doing my best. I'm pregnant, okay? I hope you know I am naming this episode uh, Tappics and Waddle Levels. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Sounds great. Write it down. Oh, well, I've got an audio recording. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, some of the other things they found when the when the water levels went down were roads, uh, the piles of rubble that I was telling you about, boats, cars. Wait, aren't boats supposed to float? Yeah, but not always. Like if they capsize or something, they just sink to the. You, can, you ain't getting that back. Okay, well that's fine. But also, I thought they said they remove. I guess the cars could have been in there later. Yeah, we we'll know like what. Oh God, okay. Um, there's also okay. I really hate this. <laughs> People say that there are catfish the size of cars in this lake, specifically Volkswagens, which just like a, gives a me beetle? more questions. That's what I'm thinking. Is it like a like beetle a bug? or like a? I don't know, but it's a catfish the size of a car. I hate it. I'm just envisioning a cat ship in the shape of a bug. Of like the Volkswagen bugs. What's the bumpy part? His back? Is he okay? If you that's flip just... it upside down, kind of. It could be his stomach. You know how they both. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's a better. So this brings me to Blake Buchanan. That nice little picture we've got there. He caught a catfish. He, was... he did not break any laws like I thought he potentially had. No, no, he did not. No, he belongs here in Paranormal with his catfish. You see how proud he is of that thing? He's real proud of that. I'm real confused on how that was true crime, but I was like, whatever, not my story. I'm getting there. Look, catfish the size of cars, that is a true crime. (laughs) Says you. I'm sure someone (laughs) doesn't mind that. He caught this catfish and he said he thought it weighed at least 40 pounds. He didn't want to use his weight because he didn't want to break it because it's freaking huge catfish. He fought to catch this fish for about 40 minutes. And in the photo, the, the net that he's got the fish next to for scale is four feet long. How big do catfish normally get? Uh, catfish can just not stop growing. They live a long time. They eat anything. They can just keep going. I googled how big catfish typically are. And they say three to five pounds. Look at how long they can live. They can live like a freaking long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can go on. I will not hyperfixate on this. Okay. They can live for 60 years. And that's just one type. Just a growing. Okay. So Blake said about this catfish. His head was the size of my chest. And he said he never felt, or excuse me, he never fought something so powerful. He said it was an incredible fish. And then he released it back into the lake for someone else to catch. Sir. Why? I don't know. Why? Why would you put this thing back? Listen, I don't, why would you want to catch this thing, first of all? But secondly, why would you put it back to keep growing? That's my point. 
That was another reason he said he didn't want to risk weighing it. He didn't want to kill it. Bro, kill it with fire. This thing's insane. It's the size of a like 10-year-old. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, no, it's not. This does this does feel more criminal. I was wrong about my initial statements about <laughs> Mr. Buchanan here. Uh-huh. He is, this does belong in true crime. This just led me, I'm telling you, the rabbit hole I went on. I found this man's Facebook. Okay. That's where the picture of him holding it come from. It was a video on his Facebook. Okay. <laughs> the other thing I don't understand, maybe uh-huh. this is just me and maybe you can explain it. Why do you fish if you're going to release it? I don't get that either. Okay. okay? I, my dad sent me a video on Facebook the other day of this man that was fly fishing. And he was teaching these other guys or showing them how to fly fish. And he said the same thing. He's like, there you go. You caught it. Now you throw it back. And they're all like, uh, what, what'd you do that for? Why'd you throw it back? What's the point of catching it? I don't know. Maybe like, you I don't get, eat this type of catfish. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. But I like, I get like, sometimes if you're fishing, maybe you, there's regulations on things that mm-hmm. you have to throw back. I understand that. But why fish if you're going to throw everything back? I don't, I, I, I will never you. understand that. That's dinner to me. Like that's that's saving me like twenty bucks at the grocery store on fish. With, with that catfish, it's saving you oh my gosh. a year's worth of catfish. This okay, this led me to to see like, okay, well, what's the biggest catfish that was ever caught here, right? Because this is a big sucker. Mm-hmm. The biggest one ever caught was 51 pounds and 10 ounces, and it was caught in 2016. And people think like if he would have kept this, which I'm still mad that he didn't, I will never go to this lake and I'm still mad that he put this thing back. He very well could have potentially broke that record with this fish. It's also said that the, these catfish, these catfish, these satanic devil catfish, they accidentally drown swimmers sometimes. Now, I could not substantiate that, okay? I could not find any examples, but then again, how would you? Um, but their mouths are so big and catfish literally eat anything. People claim that, you know, maybe they get like a foot or something and just drag them down to the bottom of the lake. Sure. Sure. That's how your husband lake. died. That is how a thousand percent <laughs> how your husband died. It was a catfish. It wasn't me. Trust me. I'm just as distraught as everyone else. I'm so, I'm so I hate this thing. I don't like it at all. I'm going to stop talking about it. Okay. So, many people have died in and on this lake over the years. There's been, since 1956, over 700 deaths here. Oh, does that not feel like a lot? Because I told James and he was like, oh, it's not that bad. It's like, I don't know, 10 a year or something like that is what he said. That just feels like a lot. That feels like a lot. And at least 27 victims that we know of that have gone missing in Lake Linear have not been recovered. Okay, this is my thing with lakes, right? Mm-hmm. You never know what is in there. Yeah, you do. A racetrack and catfish cars. Okay, you might know what though. I you don't know everything. Oh, that's what the racetracks for. And the cars. Yeah, the catfish. Actually, is, that's okay. probably this the, the catfish. Replace the cars. They just have evolved into the shape of the 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 VW bugs, mm-hmm. and now they just race the racetrack. Okay, well at least we got that figured out. Just yeah. another reason not to go. 
I mean, it's a pretty, pretty lake. Like, I'm not arguing that. But it is really pretty. It's widely considered the deadliest lake, though, in America. And Georgia, now Georgia attributes these deaths to the high number of visitors that go to this lake. 11.8 million people annually. <laughs> Everyone and their dog. Apparently, we need to get on this trend. I don't want to get on this trend. No, no, I'm good here. <laughs> Thanks. We have a racetrack here somewhere, I'm sure. Google it. I'm sure you're, you'll find it. No, James just said one. We do. Oh, yeah, we okay. do. I pass that every day. Okay. Uh, yeah, more people visit this lake than the Louvre in Paris and Shanghai Disneyland. What's happening? Wow. Okay, we need to change this number. I hate it. Just drain the lake and give them their town back. <laughs> I don't know if they want their town back right now. Not right now, but... I don't know that they're going to want it back. There might be some ooky spooky things happening. Let me tell you, there are. Uh, okay. You okay. Get, uh, we'll we'll get into it. Um so I'm one sorry, legend jumping ahead. One legend. Now we're really getting into the true. This might have been just a true crime episode, okay? It's just double true crime. Like the number one legend you're going to come up with, you're going to see when you search like linear is said to take place in 1958. So the lake is like still new at this point. It's still shiny, okay? Delia May, Parker Young, and Susie Roberts. They were friends. They had just left a dance. Um, the night was still young. They were driving their car. They just left a gas station and got gas and didn't pay for it. They were living life, okay? They were cut and foot loose. Yes, they, they were <laughs> foot loose. They were driving across this lake on a bridge uh, when they lost control of the car. Both women drowned after the car went into the lake. One of the bodies was found floating in the lake, but it had been in there for so long they couldn't tell who it was. And when they found the car 31 years later, when they were doing work on the bridge, they found the other body. Person. Uh, yeah, person, because at this point it wasn't really... A body anymore? Sorry, water bodies. Remains. Thirty-one years. Yeah, there was still someone behind the wheel. Now, um, people report seeing a woman in a blue dress walking along the bridge with no nope. hands, just arms. Nope. No idea what happened to her hands, but she just has arms and it stops. N nope. She's not. Nope. We're we're not stopping for her. I don't know how she does this, but she said to snatch people and drag them to the bottom of the lake. I guess with her mouth, like a catfish. Oh, they think it's catfish, but it's not. This is ghost. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay I see. Um, people believe that this woman was Delia because she was wearing a blue dress the night that they died. I don't like that. Neither did Bart Glabman. He's a paranormal investigator. He went to the lake with an EMF. That what are you laughing at? Me? No, James is over here fucking giggling at Glabman. Or Glabman. That sounds like a paranormal investigator. Yeah, that does sound like a paranormal investigator, <laughs> doesn't it? I wasn't going to say anything because he's he's phenomenal. 
Bart Gladman is the paranormal investigator in Georgia. Okay. I don't know if he's from he Georgia, is but he went there. The, he is the Bart Gladman. Yeah. He's the Bart Gladman. You put some respect on his name, James. He went to Lake Lanier with an EMF detector and a spirit box, and he was attempting to communicate with Delia. His group asked questions, hoping that the woman would answer. And the EMF detector did spike a couple times. But Gladman believed that their cell phones could have potentially altered the results of this as they got closer to it. But one thing he could not explain was that they also heard a woman's voice come through the spirit box after they they were like, hello. And a woman's voice come back saying, hello. She's like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, they said it was almost like when you call someone on the phone. And you're like, hello? And they're like, hello? They're like, can you hear me? I'm below you trying to get better service. Put me, um, put me on speakerphone. I don't have any hands. Can you hear me now? Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get into a couple of victims of this lake and tragedies. 11-year-old Kyle Glover was actually the son of Usher's ex-wife, Tamika Foster. He had a fatal tubing accident on the lake July 6th of 2012. He was 11 years old. A family friend was driving a jet ski when it collided with his inner tube. Um, Kyle suffered a head injury and was rushed to the hospital where he died two weeks later. Jeffrey Simon Hubbard, he was 40 years old. He was found guilty on five counts, homicide by vessel in the first degree, serious injury by vessel, reckless operation of a vessel, unlawful operation of a personal watercraft, and a boat traffic violation. That's a lot of violations. Yeah, they really like, which he was said to have been driving really erratically before this. And then this happened. On Mother's Day 2021, a boat burst into flames. Near a refueling dock at Margaritaville, Gunnar Coleman, who was 13, and his sister Taylor Coleman, who was 16, they both suffered severe burns. Annie Coleman, their mother, was hospitalized but later released into hospice care. Steve Coleman, the father, and their youngest son, Ryder, they were injured but not critically. And the Lake community, they came together to set up a GoFundMe for the hospital bills that amounted to roughly $47,000. And after weeks in the hospital, the children were finally released. From what I can find, they're all doing well now. Yes. Hey, but it was near Margaritaville? Yeah, it was at a, a refueling dock in Margaritaville. I had one more bullet that I... I um, you blacked out? I did. Uh, they also had their family dog that died in the explosion. You shut your face. Yeah. You're the worst. I'm sorry. For that, I'm revoking my statement that I won't go to that website for my next true crime. Look, I'm just reporting the stories, okay? You don't have to break my heart in the process. I know. I I had put it in there and then I took it out again, but it was... The dog deserves justice, too. I'm not arguing that. You just don't have to rip my heart out. Sorry. Saturday, June 18th, 2022. So these are pretty recent. Um, I don't know how it's said. I'm sorry. I think it's Kyan Ding. He was 29 years old. He jumped off a pontoon that he and some friends had rented to get a hat that had blown off and he never resurfaced. 
The water was reportedly really choppy that day, and there were waves up to two and a half feet tall. Ding's fiance lived in Atlanta, but his immediate family lived in China, which is just ripped my heart out. I, that's got to be the hardest thing in the world. Like, it's hard to lose somebody, but when your family's on a completely different continent. Different country. Yeah. His body was later recovered about a week later. Many people say that as they swim in the lake, they, full, they feel hands pulling them down beneath the water. Like. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh-uh. Divers often frequent the lake. Um, and there's like little. There's a lot of videos on YouTube that you can watch of them diving and, you know, have video of all of the crap at the bottom of this lake. And I guess they have almost like a little trail that they put up that the divers follow along, which was, I didn't know that's how diving worked. That's kind of cool. Makes sense. I was going to say, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. It looks just like a hiking trail, but you're underwater and can't breathe unless you have a tank of oxygen. So one said, one diver said that as he reached the murky bottom of the lake, he would reach out to swim and he would feel an arm or a leg and it wouldn't move. No, I don't like he was you're gonna love this. He was quoted as saying, "Nobody has been able to lay them to rest, talking about the victims. They're on the bottom of Lake Linear. Hopefully you find them before they find you. No, that's you guys are the worst for saying that. Oh, just eerie in November of twenty twenty one this is a little. Short little article that I found that I'm going to summarize for you. Lake Lanier Association's Abandoned and Derelict Docks and Boats Program, which I really feel like y'all could have shortened that, okay? They pulled the 11th abandoned houseboat from the lake, which I have included a picture of. Is that not the freakiest thing? The 11th abandoned houseboat? The 11th. Is that the name of the boat? Oh, no, I'm glad you asked. The... The name of the boat was the Chastity Ghost Boat. That's what people have been referring to it as. It was at the boat for two decades. It was at the boat for two decades? Yep. (laughs) It was only a boat for two decades. It was a boat for two decades. The boat had been washed up on the shore for two decades. Let me try that again. And they had just found it? No, they knew it was there. It was apparently in a hard place to get to because the lake, it's not just like deep at the middle and then, you know, bottom. No, there's like random super deep points in this lake. And that's another thing Georgia says is dangerous about this lake is you'll just be like wading out, swimming and having fun. And then there's just a drop off where it's deep as heck. This part of the lake was apparently really shallow, so they had to really work to get the specific boats over there to get this houseboat out of there. If that made sense at all, I'm not. I don't have a boat. Can you tell? No. This people. This is why we we wear our um, life jackets. Yes. They said that over the years, the boat appeared to have been lived in because there's like. There's a couple of lawn chairs sitting out here. They've got shades hanging up, kind of, mostly still hanging there. I don't see how that looks lived in, but you know what? Okay. You know what? It is a houseboat, and no one was claiming it. You're right. No one claimed it. 
They could never, nobody was ever seen near the boat and no owner was ever found. So they did remove it. And Lake Lanier Association Executive Director Jennifer Flowers, she said, now that the Chastity ghost boat is in the landfill, we have removed any ghosts that were rumored to have inhabited Lake Lanier. Everyone can now rest easy. Ma'am, one boat. That's not how it works. That's not, no, one boat is not going to get all those ghosts out of there, ma'am. You're going to need a whole army of spiritual cleansing people to just surround the shit out of that lake. Yes. You're going to have to drop an A-bomb of sage in that lake. Just, you know what? Plant sage around the lake. You know what? Yeah, that's what they needed and set it on fire. Along Uh with that stupid catfish. That is, that is like linear. Okay. I'm upset that they ended by saying, oh, we removed this houseboat and now all the spirits are gone. Yeah, I had to put that in there because, ma'am, I don't think that's how that works. It's not like all of the spirits were just, they were partying on this houseboat and they didn't leave by the time they took it. So they just like pulled it up on this barge and hauled it to the landfill. And now they're, oh, those poor people that work at that landfill. Now they're all there. Yeah. Listen, this is what happened is all the ghosts live in this one single houseboat, which by the way, Mm -hmm. it's not huge, but they all live in this houseboat. And because they like to haunt at night, the society moved it during the day while they were all sleeping. They're now at the landfill. I figured it out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that explains all the chairs and stuff. Because mm-hmm. they were all asleep and now they're just stuck in the landfill. The guards on duty failed. Yeah. Jennifer Flowers, she knows what she's doing. She's got this. <laughs> I need to just shut my mouth. She's the executive director. She knows what she's doing. We are clearly not experts on this, but she is. No. Yeah, I wanted to do... I don't know. I did a haunted forest. I wanted to do a haunted lake. And <laughs> this was the first one that come up. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't enjoy it. Granted, I feel like we've done maybe not a specific lake, but we've talked about like cryptids in a lake. And I feel like that would mm-hmm. almost count as a haunting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So I'm just I'll saying. allow it. Nessie haunts her lake. Exactly. Do I not enjoy that? Like, though, it's not haunted anymore. We're safe to go. Yeah, you're absolutely safe to go. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. They fixed it. It's fine. Just wear your guys' life jackets. Listen, my family's all about life jackets. I don't know far out you're swimming. Wear a life jacket, okay? You're in an open body of water. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And just stay away from the catfish. If you're out there swimming in the middle of the lake and you hear a horn, just move because there is you're about to go right out into traffic. You're in their racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's probably like a ton of them coming at you. You're going to hear more <laughs> than one horn. What do catfish horns sound like? Uh, meow? No, wait. Bubbles? Oh, that's what it is. It's not. I was going to make a fart joke. The bubbles. It's just catfish. <laughs> it's just catfish. That's what yeah. I'm saying from now on. It's just the catfish. They're racing. They're swimming in circles. No big deal. It's fine. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's one hell of a one hell of a lake. But it's not haunted. Yeah. So, Dad, Dad, not we anymore. can go visit. Yeah. yeah. You are on your own. I'm not going anywhere <laughs> near this lake. 
We're going to wear life jackets. Don't worry about it. I'm not getting in this lake. I'm not stepping foot. Uh-uh. No thanks. There's there's houses under there. I just want to go to Margaritaville. Oh, there's there's a ton of those. That's not the only one. We can do, I've been to one in Alabama. We That's should, fun. We should do a road trip of all the Margaritavilles. We should have done that yesterday. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, that's why I'm throwing it out now is so yeah. that we can start planning. That sounds great. I'll start drinking now and preparing. No, no, I okay. won't. That was a joke. I'll start drinking the virgin margaritas and preparing. You, we, okay. How about we do it next summer? Okay. Yeah. That sounds Done. good. Okay. Done. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Helen Hills Podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram, Helen Hills Podcast, Twitter, Helen Hills Pod, or Facebook by searching Helen Hills Podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Helen Hills Podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create additional content for you, you can donate through Patreon, where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at helenhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye. Bye. Bye.